I don't want to tell any stories because he can do the same to me. Uh, Richard and I, were we worked together in seminary back in the 90s, and uh, we were in the same office in student services. So our, our desire was to serve the students of Covenant Theological Seminary, and then we've both gone our ways as we've gone here, been 20 years in ministry, and uh, been just keeping up with each other. So it is, it's a great privilege to be here and to participate and to have Sue. Sue and I do this around the country. Uh, let's see, the, we've been in Stanton, Virginia. We've been in Chattanooga. We just go around and, and parenting is a really great thing, topic. It's a topic that is so important. And one of the things that Richard, as he showed me the demographics of this congregation and the people that are here, it's amazing the spread. And so is what we try to do in our presentation is to think about how do you apply this at the different age levels. And a lot of times the questions that come up with that is, okay, you said this principle, that's great, but how do we do it at this age level? And we try to address that, but that might be something that you want to write down for the panel, uh, especially as we go about that Sunday. But I want to just... Get you started here. Uh, always when I speak, or when I hear people speak, I like to know a little bit about them. So I'm going to start by telling you about my family. Sue, when she does her session, just the next session, she'll tell you a little bit about her family and her story. But this is my family. This picture was taken about a year ago at my nephew's wedding in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in Birmingham. I've been a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, St. Louis, Missouri, and now I'm here and. Atlanta, Georgia, but Birmingham is what I call home. My wife there, we've been married 20, almost 27 years. We met when I was in the Air Force in Southern California. So I understand the military lifestyle that some of you have, but we, got, we met in a singles group. My wife is from western New York, which is near Buffalo, about 10 miles from Niagara Falls. And so we met. I thought I was going to marry a southern woman, and God said no. He gave me a much better woman, and that's my wife, Susan. And we have three kids. My oldest is Brandon right here. He will be 22 on May 17th. And he, on May 29th, is marrying Anastasia Hathaway. We call her Anna. And they are uh, live in St. Louis. And he works as a computer programmer. And then my son, Nathan, here, almost age 20, he'll be 20 in about a week and a half. And Nathan is a mechatronics engineering student at Kennesaw State University. Uh, for those of you who don't know what mechatronics is, it's a combination of electrical engineering, computer engineering, robotics, and there's something else in there, but <laughs> I don't know what it is. And uh, he actually is working for a... HVAC, industrial HVAC, and doing the controls so that when you set things up to go online to set controls, he's the guy that programs that. So I've got very smart boys. And then my daughter is right there, Morgan. She will be 16 in August. Morgan is, uh, she's the one that wants to be a school teacher, and she's also the actress in our family. She just did, she was in her first play as a freshman in high school in Les Miserables, and she was in the ensemble, and she loved it. So she now has the acting bug. And so that's my family. And 
As I talk tonight, you need to understand something. I've known these principles of grace-based parenting from the very start. I remember one time in a phone conversation with my mother when I was in seminary, we were either had just had our first child or were expecting our first child, Brandon. I, may, I was so bold as to tell my mother, thank you for how you raised me, but I think I'm going to try to do it in a more grace-based way. All right, here's, your ta- here's one takeaway. Don't do that. Okay? <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, so I've known these principles. I've tried to live these principles. We raised our children. They went to Christian schools. We had family devotions, not as much as I should. We went to church every Sunday. My two boys are not walking with the Lord right now. They have made a profession of faith. They know all about church. They could answer many biblical questions. But right now, God's not important to them. My daughter, on the other hand, loves to talk about God. Loves to work in the children's ministry at church. Loves it when we spend time talking, do Bible reading before she goes to school. Loves talking about the faith and telling others about the faith. So, you're not going to get an expert. (laughs) I understand now if you want to leave. (laughs) Because it's not mechanical. Parenting is not mechanical. You have a high calling and you are to serve the Lord, and you leave it up to Him. And right now, my parenting has taken a whole new turn as I parent in this current season of children who don't always respond. They can answer the questions, but they don't always respond the way I want them to. But let's think about this. Sue and I go around, we do parenting conferences, and we think about, you know, who are the people that come to a parenting conference? And we've we've tried to simplify it a little bit, and we've boiled it down to these. Some people come and they say, I have no idea what to do as a parent. I need guidance so that I don't ruin my children. Now, what is the issue involved in this person coming? It might be you, it might be somebody you know, it might not be you. But look at this statement, and what's the issue that's sort of underlying these words? What do you think as you read it? What is that? Lack of confidence? Okay. What else? Anything? Ruin. Alright, what does that say to you when it says ruin? What is... It's up to me. Alright. Okay, you've followed the right steps. It's almost like it's a recipe. If I do X, Y, Z, then this input will give me this output. And I don't want to ruin them. So, and so you got that going on. Alright, so that's one group. Let's th- I'm struggling and I need help. Please tell me what I can do to make it all work out right. Life is just too messy. What's going on in this person's life? Some of you might be feeling this right now. <laughs> What's happening in this person? Well, 
I want to make it. You fill in the blank. I want to make parenting work out right. I want my child to work out right. I want the circumstance to work out right. I want the schooling to work out right. This is the person who's drowning. And go ahead. And it could be, a lot of times, they're grasping for control. That's what they're wanting. Because that's where they feel comfortable. And so many of us are like this. And parenting brings... Parenting brings the, our idol of desire for control, it just slams it right on up to the top, puts it right on that altar. And that's what's happening, especially when things get so much turmoil, and that's what this person is doing. Now, here's another. I know I've messed up. I want to fix things. Show me how. This can happen in a person maybe who uh, had children and then came to Christ and is now wanting to sort of go back and fix the things. Or maybe they came to Christ and they had a horrible childhood and then they are sort of lost. But they, they, they also look at themselves and how they parented and what they did wrong. And that just, it's almost like the enemy just brings it to their mind constantly and, and they're dealing with guilt, with shame. And so that's what they're. I know I've messed up. But there again... I want to fix things. And then there's this group. I'm doing it right, just look at my kids. <laughs> I'm here to help others. Just look at me. Now, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hands who, who is feeling this right now. But, the other thing about this is sometimes we go back and forth between these groups. But here's the truth. The Gospel challenges us in all of these different situations. It challenges our actions and our motives. Think, to, think about how the Gospel speaks to the person up at the time. I had no idea what to do as a parent. What does the Gospel say to that person? It's like, yeah, you, don't, you are not able. That's why the Gospel says, God is your helper and your strength. That's the Gospel. And it's not as if you have to do things right before He acts. God never deals with us. He never says, alright, clean up your act as a parent, and then I'm going to bless you abundantly. That is not the Gospel. The Gospel comes to us and says, alright, I'm going to enter into this mess of yours and meet you where you are and lead you to a better place. That also is a message that the third person needs to hear. Because Christ comes in, yeah, I know you've messed up. That's exactly why I hung on the cross. Yes, I know you yelled at your child for the 20th time in the last 20 minutes. But, give me that anger. Give me that frustration. And Jesus says, I'm not holding it against you. That's the Gospel. Struggling. God says, yes, I'm your helper. And then for the person saying, I'm doing it right. Okay. If you're doing it so right, then why did Jesus have to come? And therein, the Gospel humbles us. Because we realize no matter how perfect we may seem as a parent, and I'll be honest, I struggle with that at times. 
Because there were times, I'm a preacher. I'm having Bible studies with my kids. We pray at night. Well, now God's saying, okay, how are you going to trust me, Stephen, when your sons don't talk about God like you want them to? The Gospel meets us wherever we are. I want you to picture something here, and this is a little audience participation here. It's based on a true story. Have any of y'all ever flown into the Seoul International Airport? We have a few people that have come in. I did this a few years ago, and uh, if you go, the one at the top picture is the one where you're coming into the country, and then the bottom picture, especially on the right-hand side there, is that's where you go up and you present your stuff, and you have to present your passport, and then they approve you so that you can go to take your flight back home. Alright, so picture you're coming up to this counter right here, and it's you... Your spouse and your four-year-old son. All right, you're you're the dad. Dads, I'm going to picture you especially because this this true story based on a man. All right, the man came up with his wife, four-year-old son, and he presented the person with that. Okay, this is a Chinese man who is in Korea. And he was trying to get back to Beijing. So when he pulled his passport out of his bag and presented it to the person at the counter, that's what he showed him. And the person at the passport counter said, I'm sorry, you are not going to leave on your flight. Now, we're talking family dynamics here. What's happening to you? At, all right, men, I'm talking to you. What's happening in your heart and in your soul and in your behavior right now? Be honest. Or maybe you can think about how other people might react, but you would never do that. <clears throat> Alright. Guys, how would, what's going on? What's going on inside your body? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? You've just presented that and it's right there. Why? You're so excited about the artwork of your son? <laughs> All right, so you're frustrated. All right. Okay, so it just that's just all right, we just upped the ante on you. All right, so frustration. Now, okay, as a group, women, you can speak here. How do men often voice frustration? Violence? <laughs> oh, Silence. Oh, I thought it said violence. I thought, Jordan, I thought you said that. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, okay, we've got a live crowd here. <laughs> violence. Silence. Okay, that's okay. We'll go with silence. Did you hear silence? Oh, okay. You heard violence like me. Maybe my mind is just going there. Maybe that's where I would be. Yes, it would be. But the way I would do it is I would yell. Or I would belittle. Now, ladies, you're the wife. What are you going to do? Oh, hug my child. Okay. And say, oh, honey, what wonderful artwork. Let's say, will this show up on the refrigerator door when we get home? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. With who? With your kid. And what would have happened between your relationship with your spouse? Well, you would have fought. Yeah. Uh, okay. He would have calmed you down. Okay. All right. All right. The felt marker that led to this artwork. Would it matter who get, who had gave the child access to the felt marker? <laughs> I love doing this because you always get these wonderful answers. You never know how. You know, one time we did this and one said, I said, what if, what if I told you the mom gave the felt marker to the child? Oh, yeah. But then one of the ladies said, well, the dad shouldn't have had the passport out anyway. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, now, the end of the story, the guy, it was only one day he was able to get things and he was able to make it back home to Beijing the next day. But he was delayed a day. But mom and child were able to leave that day. <laughs> it's like, see ya, y'all have fun. Oh, that was a blessing. He could, he could calm down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, uh, here's a prayer about gospel parenting. I want us to look at this together and just recite it along with me. Just join me. Let's read together. Oh, the arrogant pride of thinking that by my good parenting, I can take credit for what you alone have graciously done in the lives of my children. Oh, the arrogant unbelief of assuming that by my bad parenting, I forever limited what you will be able to do in the future. Oh, the undue pressure our children must feel when we parent more out of fear and pride than by your love and grace. Scotty Smith. There's hope, but there's no magical formula when it comes to parenting. For many years, I looked at Psalm 127, and I thought, oh, this is a great... I, I focused on those first two verses where it talks about, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain, Lord watching over the city, doing that work, and God's working. But I, for years, never read verses 3 through 5. And it's a parenting psalm. Because it's talking about children are heritage from the Lord. And in the Hebrew there, it's not only the from the Lord, the idea being that God gives us our children. That's, that's at play there. But even more important, it's, it's that the children belong to the Lord. It's the idea that as parents, we are stewards of what God still has claim over. And so, so children are a heritage from the Lord. It's a fruit of the it's a reward. Even when the child is a devil. <laughs> it's still a reward. And blessed is the man, of course, the man here is mankind, who has many children. They will not be put to shame. Sometimes in our parenting we wonder, Lord, make that happen today. <laughs> But remember, God is viewing the long term. Another important thing to remember is John 15, which that whole section in the upper room discourse is John, or John is recording Jesus' words, and it's all about discipleship. How are we going to follow Christ? And Jesus says, abide in me. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, and now when I'm saying fruit here, think about my ability to parent, the fruitfulness of the parenting, the, my kids turning out alright. However you define success as a parent, the fruitfulness will come as you abide in Christ. And see what Jesus says there? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Period. It's not, so how I have loved you when you are a great parent. So I love you because you kept your tongue today. It's no. Jesus says, I love you. Now abide in that love. And sometimes that love means we need to know His forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes with the love. Sometimes the, the love, we need to be challenged where we're trusting in ourselves too much. Sometimes that love is where we are at our wit's end and we just cry out. We have no other place to go. And just like Jesus, and I appreciate how Richard read that text, just as Jesus received the children in His arms, you've got to remember, see yourself as one of those children too. And He receives you, just like He received them. Now as you think about, how do I... Okay, give me something that I can take away for sure. Alright, for those of you who are more engineers and lawyers, here's the two things. Be intentional and be consistent. Those are the two pegs. If you've got to have something, be intentional, be consistent. We're going to talk about more of that. When you get into a situation, your challenge is, I'm going to act with an intentionality based on what I know about God and how He deals with His people and the promises He's given me. And then be consistent. And a lot of that consistency begins where I'm first going to go to Christ rather than in my own strength. So be intentional, be consistent. Parenting is a matter of identity. And identity is a product of both our nature, how God created us to be, and our nurture, particularly family of origin issues. Whenever I do premarital counseling, often I, the biggest thing is, tell me about your family. This past week I was talking with a Korean pastor in the Atlanta area, and he says family of origin issues is the biggest thing that they face in their Asian dominant culture church. How do you deal? How did your parents raise you? What are you used to? What are you experiencing? And that's part of our identity. But we have to go. Who does who does God say we are according to Scripture? Well, we're created in the image of God for the purpose of glorifying and enjoying Him at all times. We're fallen. We're affected by the brokenness of our own sin nature, the brokenness of the world that is working against us and against a parenting that's out of grace and love and mercy and, and, and righteousness. So we're working that. But we're also affected by our past scars. Maybe your parents did something that just really hurt you and you are definite you will never do that on your own. You're going to avoid that. 
But maybe you have parents that were just so wonderful. And you say, I want to replicate that. All of that is at play in identity. But though we are fallen, we are redeemed. He was punished for our iniquity. All of our iniquity. And whenever we come to God, we are covered in His righteousness. Christ's righteousness. And then, we are adopted and called to participate in God's work of redemption. God's work of redemption in our children's lives. Right now, I have an almost 20 and almost 22 year old. They're not in the house anymore. And because of where they are spiritually, I'm praying for them now more than I did when they were growing up. Because that's the role I can play in God's redemption in the lives of my kids. We're always called as parents to play a part in what God is doing in the lives of our kids. He loves our kids more than we ever will. And He's saying, I'm using you in the primary role of bringing this person that I've created to full understanding in a life with Him. It's a high privilege that we have. And God has given us this calling. Now, you think about identity. Think about who am I. This is where I need you to think back to your own parenting, your, the model that you, you, that you saw, how your parents parented, and then sometimes people fall into extremes. Now, I've thought of these extremes. There might be some more. But I want to, I'll go over these extremes and I want you to think about which one is closest to identifying you. Some parents fall into the best friend category. I want to be my child's best friend. I want my child to like me all the time. And so that's how they go about it. I'm going to do everything with my child. My child's going to be my best friend. Then there's the permissive uncle that I want my child to like me, and the way I'm going to do that is just give. And sometimes the permissive uncle is because maybe there's a guilt issue going on because they weren't around or they're they're too busy or something like that, and so they're just give, 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 and I'm going to buy my child's affection. So that can happen there. Then you've got one that I just found out about a couple weeks ago, and that's the lawnmower parent. Now, the lawnmower parent is the one that goes before their child and makes it very smooth and clean so the child doesn't have any problem behind them. That's the lawnmower parent. Then you have the taskmaster judge who is always looking at the child and is quick to say, you know, that's great, but this is how you can do it better. Or, wow, Johnny, do this. Do, oh, you didn't do that right. Uh, and, and sometimes this person hides behind a facade of pursuing excellence and wanting to see their child do great things, but actually is putting a burden on their child. Alright, that's me. Alright, I'll own that sin. And then you have the helicopter parent. Although I'm hearing, 
Oh, there's another one there as well. The helicopter parent is the one that hovers over and watches and makes sure that their child will never undergo any pain or any... Um, they will never be put down by other people. They will always be treated and have a wonderful experience. Similar to the lawnmower parent, but this one is very much controlling. An example of this is we had a situation, a nursery situation in the church I worked in in St. Louis, where a, a mo mom brought her three-year-old. It was supposed to be mom's morning out, which means that mom goes out. She brought her child in, and then we had those windows in the wall. And so she put the child in there, and then she just stood there watching the window. And the person in charge said, Ma'am, you need to go, because as long as your child sees you, no, I'm, I, don't think, I don't know these people. And I want to make sure, you know, my child, he's not getting to play with the toy he wants. That's a helicopter parent. Now, the reaction to helicopter parents, what they call free-range parents. And that's a, now the younger generation in the early 20s, I think, is coming. The free-range, that's just, just let the kid go. They'll make it out. They'll, they'll, so it's letting them go wild on the range. So my kid wants to cross the street at four years old? Go at it. That's how he'll learn. That's a free-range parent. Okay. Which category are you in? Alright, which category is your spouse in? That might be something y'all can work on homework tonight. Y'all can talk about that, but please don't fight. <laughs> Remember the Gospel. It's good. Parenting is a matter of identity for your child as well. Creating the image of God, purpose of glorifying and enjoying Him, it's a gift for which we are stewards. Always keep that in mind. God never gives up ownership of our child. He claims the child. They are fallen just like we are. Years ago, <clears throat> I read this. This is really old, but I love the story. Young mother of three-year-old daughter spoke with Dr. James Dobson. Any of y'all recognize James Dobson? Okay, J James Dobson wrote a book. It was really big, especially when I was getting started in parenting in the mid-90s. I think it was Dare to Discipline or something like that. And this, so this young mother, three-year-old daughter, spoke with Dr. Dobson. Her, the defiance was just overwhelming the children. Uh, earlier we were talking outside, you know, I say this, my child does the exact opposite. I say, I, you make mommy and daddy happy if you did it, child does the exact opposite. That's sort of what was going on here. And then Dr. Dobson's book about discipline gave very practical tools for these parents. So, after they spoke to Dr. Dobson, read the book, child gave a sassy comment, parents following the little procedure that Dobson laid out, spanked their child. Next morning they found the copy of Dr. Dobson's book in the toilet. Three people in the family. Mother, father, three-year-old daughter. Who put the book in the toilet? 
three-year-old child was able to figure out and respond because they didn't like the consequence of that book. Now, is this child a little angel <laughs> or a little demon? <laughs> the jury's still out on that. But the thing about it is, sometimes this child who's creating the image of God can act so horrible because little children from the very earliest age have a sin nature. That's part of our doctrine and it plays out in reality. But children of believers are members of the covenant of grace. The next session, Sue sort of unpacks that. But the thing we need to remember is they have a covenantal relationship with God. The parents know God and the children, therefore, as God says in Scripture, He said it to Abraham, Abraham, I am your God and I am the God of your descendants. When God made that promise, how many descendants did Abraham have? Zero. But God made a promise that was based not on Abraham and all that he had, or all that Abraham could do. The promise is made on the greatness of God. And so God said, I'm going to have a relationship with you, Abraham, and your children. And so the children enjoy the benefits of the covenant community. And so you've got to think about that. What does that mean in your context? To enjoy the benefits of the covenant community. What are some things that you think about? What are the benefits of being part of a covenant community? Church community. Let's use that word. That you get to hear wonderful preaching every Sunday by the Richard Schwartz. <laughs> what do y'all got? Yes. Witness and testimony of many mentors. And think about, let's unpack that testimony. What kind of testimonies can you hear? God's grace, God's mercy, God giving me, God answering this prayer, God guiding me in this, God providing for me in this. Yes, Richard. Laments. All right, unpack that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and just the testimony of the hard times. And in some cases, like for example, in our small group in the church I attend in, in Atlanta, the whole idea, we've got a number of people in there in our small group that are just going through very, very hard times. And right now, they're in that part of where the story at this time doesn't have a happy ending. And so their testimony is, in the darkness of my situation, I'm calling out to God. In some ways, that's where I am with my parenting with my kids. Um, a little bit more about my story. <clears throat> my dad was a Roman Catholic. And he was a good Roman Catholic. But he was not a Christian. My mother was a Christian, and my heritage comes from my mother's side of the family. 
I was a believer at a very early age. But my father became a Christian two years before he died when I was already in California in the Air Force and he was in Alabama. And I knew there was a change. But I was so looking forward to being a dad, a Christian dad, and have teenage boys and talk to my boys like I wish my dad had talked to me. My lament now is that God has decided not to give me that. But you know, He's still good. I just sometimes have trouble understanding the goodness part. But that's what we're called to do. And part of being in a covenant community is that we have other people who come alongside. Now, one of the blessings of a five-hour car ride with Sue Jakes is we talk about these things. And we're united in Christ. And she says, how's it going with your son? And she knows my story. And she works for me. Yes, I am her boss. But she will call me out <laughs> and say, Stephen, do this or don't do that. That's part of being in the covenant community. What are we trying to produce when we talk about parenting? What are, what's, we will produce what we value. What do you think about that? Moral, successful, well-educated, well-rounded? Or... So you want to give... We always have some interesting conversations with this and a little bit of pushback. This came from a conference we did at Covenant Seminary a few years ago that Brian Habig left, and he posted these things on the board. And, you know, there is nothing wrong with the list on the left-hand side. You know, but we find that in the in the Christian church and with all of us, we much, you know, we talk about parenting out of fear and, and what, what we do because of what we fear that it's a, a difficult thing sometimes to back away and say, you know, we, we fear that our children are going to embarrass us with their bad behavior. We fear that they are going to uh, grow old and never, you know, be able to earn a living that in this culture would be acceptable. Uh, you know, that we, we fear that they won't be socially, um, you know, um, well-rounded and able to just, you know, adapt to any, you know, situation. And, and so we spend a lot of time making sure those things happen. A lot of time. And so when you lay that first list uh, uh, against this list over here, which is really a list that only God can do, but we also can give a lot of time to enabling God to do these things. Uh, you know, a broken, soft-hearted child. You, you can't change a sinner's heart that's you know the catechism question who can change a sinner's heart the holy spirit alone and so we're dependent on that but are we always moving them toward 
uh, you know, the, the covenant of grace and the, and the body of Christ as they see what a broken heart looks like and what it means to truly <laughs> repent. And, to, and are we spending a lot of time and energy training them in the word of God where he has told us that we can know him, that he has revealed himself to us in the word. All of these things you know, come from that. We were talking about this recently at the uh, children's ministry leadership training at Ridgehaven. And, and it, I, I just had a children's Sunday school teacher moment that I want to share with you because I think when you list when you do a parenting conference you can't help but start start giving people oh boy we really need to do that you know oh we got to go home and do that you know oh we really and for us to use words like be consistent and intentional you're like going but I'm tired (laughs) yeah how how do you be consistent I'm consistently tired when you're tired and I intentionally want to go to bed um and and if you're really talking about gospel power, you know, centered parenting, and and it is the gospel, we're dependent upon God to work in the lives and hearts of our children. Do we do anything? And I I, I just I stood up in the middle. We were talking with their, their, some of the children's ministry leaders about this, and I said, you know, I just had an aha moment. How many times I have taught children the story of the fall of the wall of Jericho? Of those people marching around, marching for seven days, they marched around. They had to blow the trumpets, and at the end of the seventh day, they had to shout. Now, did their stomping feet around that wall for seven days cause that wall to fall? Were the trumpets so loud the walls could not withstand? Did they shout loud enough to bring down the walls of Jericho? They were obedient and consistent and intentional to do what it was that God called them to do. But God brought down the walls. And and so I think that as we are gospel parenting, you know, you said we keep doing these things, but we're so dependent in the end for God to do what's on this side of the list. And I think though we have to just examine our own hearts. Do you fear having a child who is going to embarrass you publicly more than you fear having a child who maybe will never be brokenhearted and repentant for their sin? You know? So how are you even praying? And what is it in the end you really... And to be Christ-centered and globally minded and really believe that they are here not about themselves, but about the kingdom of God. Uh, How do we... We're going to talk a little bit the next hour and in the morning about how we begin to to look a little bit more at this side of the list. But when you look at this, do you get offended a little bit one side or the other? I mean, we've had people raise their hand and say, look, I want my kid to be well educated. <laughs> and all Christians should. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But when we look culturally at how much more time and effort and energy and conversation and everything else we spend on the left-hand side, then we do the right. And yet on the right-hand side is, is, is characteristics of those who belong to the God who created them, you know the the, the kingdom principles are on the, on the right hand side. So, another thing that just recently I had an aha moment. It was working with my daughter, and she was just very concerned about a grade that she got. I mean, she, she was had like an 89 or an 88 in math, which is not a big deal. But for her, and this is the aha moment. She, she was thinking that this moral, successful, well-educated, she thought that was my priority. 
even though I'm trying my best to tell her, honey, it's more important for you to be repentant. It's more important for you to be humble before the Lord. It's more important for you to come and talk to me and let's work these things out and let's talk about how God works in your life. But see, she's living in a world that sort of pushes her over to that side of saying moral, successful, well-rounded. And then I realized my 15-year-old daughter was transferring that to me. And so my responsibility as a parent was I have to recognize that and part of my being intentional and consistent is to speak into her life and say, no, these are the priorities of your mom and dad. See, I just, I fall into it, and maybe you do as well. I tell them once, and then they're supposed to get it. What are you focused on? Gospel parenting involves what you say, what you do, why you do it. That's a key thing. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it just to appease your guilt? Are you doing it to avoid fear? Are you doing it to avoid a bad consequence? Or are you doing it because God has given you a great privilege and you're seeking to glorify Him? And remember, in the Word where it says give glory to God, give honor to God, and where it talks about God's glory and God's honor, part of the idea in the Old Testament is the weightiness of God. That God is, when you are giving God glory, you are living as if He's the most important thing in your life. And so that's how are you parenting to communicate that God is the most important thing in your life. Now the Gospel of what God has done for you also, it gives you the goal. You're participating in that redemptive work of God. Your motive is His glory, the growth of His kingdom, particularly in the lives of your children and in the sphere of influence where your children are. And then the enablement, the work of God's Spirit. What's the alternative? Moralism. It's so easy because every other religion in the world is some variation on moralism. Everything you see in American Christianity, most of the time it's moralism. The civil religion of the United States is moralism. It's all around us. And that's it. The principle of blessing, success, it's what you do. If you do well, you will get good stuff. And your progress is just, just try harder. Just do more. And this is what my daughter was struggling with with her schoolwork. Because she was like, Dad, I'm trying real hard. I say, honey, that's great. But she was falling into this moralism. And the alternative in moralism is man-centered rather than Christ-centered. Because if the solution is with man, then it's, it's man-centered. It's moralism. And the goal of moralism is be a better person rather than growing in the love and knowledge, reliance on Something <clears throat> look at this text. I've read it for years. Whoever causes one of these little ones, talking about these little children, believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck than be drowned in the depths of the sea. Alright, when you read that verse and it says, 
causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, where does your mind go? What sin are you thinking about? Smoking? Drinking? Doing drugs? Looking at pornography? What sin are you thinking about? Is it sinful to pursue moral improvement in order to improve or replace what Christ has done? Yes. So, if your spiritual training is all about teaching your child to work harder, to try harder, to be better, so that God will like them better, what are you doing? What you need to be doing is going out and getting a millstone, tying around your neck and jumping in the river. Because you are leading your child away from Christ. What you should be doing is saying, Christ is everything. He died for you. He lived for you. Now He calls you to live in a relationship with Him. If you, you know, really take this serious that we're calling, causing our kids to sin by leading them to think that if they can just be good enough, they will get into heaven. You know, I've spent a lot of time going into youth groups and talking with kids who've grown up in the church and asking them the question, if you died today, how do you know that you would spend eternity with God? And 99% of the time, they begin. These are kids in the church, kids in PCA churches. They begin the answer with, well, I hope, well, I try, well, I'm, I'm really being, and the, the, it begins with I. And, and see, that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. And it's, we're so inundated, though, with the moralism. And most of you probably grew up hearing the Bible story and even the story of the gospel of believe, and in believing this, you will be better and you will get better, and then you obey and you, you know, and you start laying that. It's just our sinful nature to begin to lay all that moralism. And so I'm going to recommend a book to you. If you feel like maybe just in your discipline of your children or as you're training them, they're beginning to get a little bit of that moralism, you know, behind it, and you want to make sure, you have to be very intentional about making <laughs> sure that that's not what they're hearing when you say those things and, and it's hard to make the change I love this is a book called, it's called the biggest story the biggest story is not Jesus died and he loves you very much and if you're good enough you get to go live in heaven with him that's not the story uh, in this book Kevin DeYoung is very intentional about making sure that you know that that is not the story he says things like this God gave the Israelite rules, but they didn't follow them. God made his dwelling among them, but they didn't act like they wanted him to stick around. God sent prophets, but Israel didn't listen. God provided priests, but they didn't know anything about how to be holy. God gave them kings, but they were a royal pain in the, you know, <laughs> Israel was a mess. Of course, God still had his promises to keep. And, and then the, probably the, apex of the whole thing and the whole book is is giving them that picture you can't do what god requires but god has promised he will do it for you i love this part our story is the story of god doing what we can't in order to make up for us doing all the time what we shouldn't 
the Christ suffers for our sin that we may share in his sin, sinlessness. And so deliverers are born to die. Things fall apart so they can come together. God kicks his own people out of paradise, but then he does everything it takes to bring them back again. Do you see the difference, though, in how, and we cannot be too intentional about indoctrinating our children with that promise. This is about something Jesus has done for you, and he's made the promise. We love you when you fail. We expect that you're going to fail because you've got the same sin problem that we have. But God has done all that you need. If you feel like you need some help explaining that to your kids, I recommend this book highly. How do you spot moralism? Well, it says themes. God loves you less because of what you did. God will bless you if you do this. You will need to learn more, work harder. If you say or teach what would be completely acceptable in the public school, you're probably close to moralism. <laughs> you got to watch out for that. Raising a pagan kid in a Christian home. Christian parents often have the goal of raising kids to be law-abiding citizens. Just keep them out of trouble. Many of us have Veggie Tales. I love Veggie Tales as I was going, and I think they're still popular. Am I right? Somewhat, maybe. What's replaced Veggie Tales in some of the younger families? Anything? Phil Vischer. After he had VeggieTales, Big Idea Productions, then he lost it. And then he was reflecting on it. He said, I spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. He realized that he had been... And he didn't go out, I'm going to teach kids moralism. He didn't start that. He just, it was just the natural thing because that's our, the way our, na our nature will run towards moralism. And he realized that. And so it's not that VeggieTales, don't, don't hear me say VeggieTales is horrible. You just have to reinterpret it. And so this is how, this is how Christ comes in. The gospel also helps us when we mess up, we will fail. You, you are not Jesus. You will fail. But what does the Gospel say? God still loves us. God still uses us. And His work is not thwarted in our children's lives. Sometimes we need to know that and hold on to that. Because we feel like we really messed up. Sometimes we feel, oh, I've messed up. Now I've got to somehow make it up. And then God can use me. No, God uses you. Sometimes we'll talk about this tomorrow when we talk about discipline. Sometimes God's using you when you tell your child and you repent before your child. That's how your child knows what repentance is. We are free to repent because the Gospel says you are forgiven. And then we respond with thanksgiving. We respond with greater obedience. You know, recently my daughter and I in our morning, uh, it's just before she goes out to the bus, and we have a verse of scripture, then we pray, 
And then I was really, something was coming up. I was going to a meeting. It was one of those meetings where we talked about budget. And I hate that, those types of meetings. And I actually was struggling because there was, I was having some friction with somebody else. And so I actually, in the prayer, said, Lord, forgive me for how I'm feeling towards this other person. And then my daughter and I had a very brief conversation about the fact that even as an adult, you have friction with your friends and you have to repent before God and God gives you strength to treat them in the way that He wants you to treat them. And so that type of thing, that's how your children know who you are before God. And then, we've said it before, say it again. God loves your child more than you do. Never forget that. What do you leave them with? What do we leave you with? Your identity is in Christ. And as the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves you. Abide in that love. Be intentional. Be consistent. Let's close with this prayer by Scotty Smith. Again, join with me. Heavenly Father, since our children are Your inheritance, teach me how to care for them as a humble steward of Your grace, not as an anxious owner. More than anything else, show me how to parent in a way that best reveals the unsearchable riches of Jesus in the Gospel. Give me quick repentances and observable kindnesses Convict me quickly and surely when I do not relate to your covenant children in line with the truth of the Gospel. You've rescued me from parental laboring in vain, assuming a burden you never intended parents to bear. Only you can reveal the glory and grace of Jesus to our children. Only you can give anyone a new heart. You've called us to parent as an act of worship, to parent as unto You, not as a way of saving face, making a name for ourselves, or proving our worthiness of Your love. Cleanse us of what is past and lead us into the bright future You have for us. In the name of Jesus, we give thanks and pray. Amen. Let's take a break.